This is a fourth hand production. Yeah, it turns out we don't know a lot about how the brain works. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I want to say it was not that long ago where people thought the mind was in the gut, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I forgot about that. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental planes that they're building? And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome, everybody, to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. Uh, I guess I'm Josh. You going to settle on that today? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I keep telling you, you got to get a hat with, like, you know, different names you can pull out of it, see what happens. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, welcome, everybody, Strange Uncles. Uh, we had a couple things in the very beginning before we roll on to it. I want to share with you. I just sent you a picture, Josh. Finally got my study done, which, oh, my God, dude. It, it has taken, like, literally two three months to get <laughs> just to get the time to try to do it so got all my books in line got my work area done and so you know the basement study so the recording studio i guess listeners is what uh you know i finally got it uh got it done on my side so yeah it looks nice man yeah yeah it turned out decent trying to get all of our ducks in a row you know because it the reality is and we've said it before i've said it before i'm sure uh you know i live in an old house it's a 1923 you know spokane type thing it's got a you know daylight basement um, but there is no central errors of yet because it's a, like a $20,000 jobby to do the upgrade. So, you know, when the summertime comes, it gets hot. The wife and I just hang in the basement. You know, we've got TV down here. We've got bathroom. We Now we got the study so we can work down here where it's not, you know, we're not sitting in 78, 80 degree, you know, living room upstairs. But um, yeah, anyway, you know, so there's that. Do fans do any good in, in that kind of weather? Yeah, I mean, you know, at night we try to do like the positive negative ventilation theory thing, you know, where you're pulling cool air in or sucking hot air out type, you know, yeah. and we've got ACs, but it's a matter of two, like electricity, right? You know, you're running your ACs all day long, but you're not actually, you, you're not in the space. So I'm not, you know, going to pay money to run an AC. No. I'm not sitting No, I well, like, know. I have a window unit for pretty much every room of my house and it's, they don't all run at the same time. I don't think that the house, I think they would blow all the breakers if they did. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, no same thing. Like, we upgraded our breaker panel and stuff, but still, the circuits are so lumped on top of each other, it's it's insane. So, but uh, anyway. Um, and then I've only got one more thing before we kick it off. We actually got a pretty interesting subject, but I want to be very honest with the listeners because I've been a hypocrite for um, almost decades. And you know this, and I don't think I've really this yet, and I don't think it's a big deal, but evidently everybody that knows me, including my son, it was like, what, what, what'd you, what'd you do, dad? <laughs> I went Apple. I went Apple. I went all in. <laughs> I gave, I gave up Android and I went Apple. Um, I'll tell you what, man, I talking to you too, the interface, like there's a learning curve there, but holy shit. I, now I see, now I get it. You know, yeah. everything connects, everything works and flows. Android just has not figured out the power versus, you know, battery versus performance balance yet, even on their high end phones. They just haven't got it. You know, Apple's got it down. Even with the, the battery alone is insane. So, yeah, you know. I, and honestly, I think part of that is comes from the end-to-end control that Apple has. Like, they basically try to make it idiot-proof, but also you can't do a lot. Like, you can do right. a lot more with an Android if you know how computers actually work. because yep. And yep. it's designed that way on purpose. Like, you know, it's it's a much more capable phone for people who know how things like that work. But for your average idiot like me, like I need, I need protections so that I don't right. accidentally like wipe the mainframe. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Then you got a brick for a you know doorstop for a phone. Well, yeah, and like, honestly, the only thing that I that I'm not happy about, and I have not figured out a workaround. I don't think there is a workaround, and the wife refuses to talk to me anymore because I've been bugging her forever because she's been an Apple for like the last ten years. You know, um, is yeah. the music? I can't. You know, like on Android, I could take my my music that I have in my library, drag and drop the folder into the phone 
And there you go. It plays. Everything's good. I don't have to worry about it. I, Apple won't let you do that. You have to hmm. pay the fee for the you know Apple Music, and then then they then you got to go to their library. I don't, I don't know. If if you just drag and drop it into iTunes into your library in iTunes, it should sync up with your phone. Tried, tried. I, I'm doing something wrong, or I'm not. I don't know. So if anybody out there knows this, I'm, I'm sure it's not a closely guarded secret like Freemasonry or some bullshit. But if well, somebody has be. an idea, it might be exactly. You, you write me a strangejugglesgmail.com. Let me know. But uh, but that's the only you know caveat so far that I see that. I just wouldn't let me do that. But other than that, man, yeah. Holy yeah, shit. it's been a long time because I don't use Apple Music because I think it's a shitty app. Um, oh, gotcha. Like, I've been using Spotify for years and years and years and years. So, like, um, a while ago, they might have changed Apple Music to be, like, where you can't just import stuff. But, like, all of the stuff that I'd put in iTunes previous to that when I used to use iTunes, mm-hmm. like, for my iPod and shit, mm-hmm. I can access Oh, and I don't gotcha. pay for Apple Music. It's just in my library. Yeah, I, I'm um, using it's, Pandora. So, so it's you know. like there's a way to do it. I just haven't done it in so long that I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, the battle continues. Again, first world problems, right? You know, as the country and the world's burning down to the ground, including Europe, I'm here worrying about my new Apple phone. So sorry, folks. I sounded very selfish and self-centered there. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, phones were tied to them. But anyway. Um, do you got anything on your side, man? Uh, no, no. Okay. Well, I think we probably rambled enough. Uh, we can, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this uh, episode. This one actually is a little bit different folks. It's not really about creepy shit, necessarily cryptid UFOs, but it's still fascinating. Um, and so we wanted to do a quick write up and we'll explain, you know, where, what everything is and hopefully you guys, uh, hopefully enjoy it. So we wanted to ask you a question to start this whole episode. Uh, as listeners, you know, do you remember your first memory uh, the very first time that something happened in your life, which was so meaningful that you actually retained it for the first time and you could pull that memory back up? You know, do you remember your first bike ride, your first kiss, the first time you actually drank a beer? How about the first time you got hurt? First time you were dumped by someone you truly loved? Or how about the first time you lost someone close to you and you were never the same? I remember it all. I know. I drag it all this old skeleton in the closet out. (laughs) I do remember. Uh, my first beer and my first uh, alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Because the first alcoholic beverage was like a fucking Bartles and James wine cooler. <laughs> so what's my- that <laughs> one of my friends and like it was either like eighth or ninth grade. I can't remember if we had just left the middle school and gone to the high school or if it was the last year of middle school. But anyway, uh, my friend at the time liked to do petty crimes like shoplifting. And so we cut class and we were wandering around reams and he pocketed a couple of Bartles and change. Jesus Christ. That's funny. (laughs) That's funny. So again, not to get too side tracky here, but uh, same thing, Bartles and James in Anaconda, Montana of all places. I was like 15. And I remember, (laughs) uh, you know, we had like somebody's mom buy it for us because she'd rather have us drink at the house than on out. And you know, the old rules, you know, we'd rather have you here than out in the, you know, the streets and all that bullshit so you know probably yeah not my the best friend group in high school had cool moms like that that were like as long as you're here and you don't drive i don't care right exactly because they know we're going to try to do something dumb anyway so which was you know, funny because after that bartles and james i didn't drink again until i was like 20 i didn't either no until i joined the navy but i do remember when she went out and got it we were sitting there and i was drinking it and on the tv when it was mtv at the time Close My Eyes Forever came on with Ozzy Osbourne and Lita Ford. And I, uh, and, Harry, yes. and it just, I will remember that memory forever. I, as far as I know, until we get done with this episode and then we find out we won't remember what we're doing. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it actually is kind of crazy. So your memories, there's some good examples right there. You know, it's, it's proven that our memories become or help mold who we are, which we just use examples right out of the gate. Um, our life experiences are near and dear to us. And those life experiences put us on different paths in life. Some paths good and some paths, well, you know, not so good, right? I mean, my life isn't where I thought it was going to be when I was 25, but you know, it's okay, right? So so what if you had a choice to change those memories that make us who we are, whether they are good or bad? What if we had the chance to actually erase certain memories, especially ones that were horrific or detrimentally changed who we were, memories that made us bitter or resentful? Would you take that option? Would you take it up and actually do that? 
Um, sounds like science fiction, kind of, right? For sure. But as we delved into this subject, it became painfully clear that this is not science fiction, but something the scientists have studied and actually had success with. And to add, it is pretty detailed in just how much research has occurred in this field of study and at times how these methods were put to use to help victims of traumatic events. So join us as we fall down the rabbit hole of memory wiping. Not just a fad and not just a movie plot in shows like Total Recall or Men in Black, but a real deal thing. So, open the gates. So, we'll start here. Um, The whole history of the human memory and theories on how it works goes all the way back to Aristotle, believe it or not. To 2,000 years ago, as the crow flies, um, Aristotle's early attempts to understand memory in his treatise On the Soul states... The human mind is a blank slate, and he theorized that all humans are born free of any knowledge and are merely the sum of their experiences. It wasn't until almost a thousand years later uh, that the 11th century Persian philosopher Avicenna confirmed Aristotle's theorem, and then in the 17th century, John Locke confirmed his again. So, uh, other notable people in history that have moved the bar forward in brain science uh, was German philosopher Hermann Immenhaus. German evolutionary biologist Richard Saman, and British psychologist Sir Frederick Bartlett. And those kind of are the high ones, um, just to name a few. There's more out there, but these are the ones that kind of popped up in history um, the most, basically. Uh, At the beginning of the 20th century, neurologist Sigmund Freud developed the concept of the unconscious, a deeply buried nook in the brain where memories are stored. So according to him, these memories cannot always be recalled, but can still affect personality, behavior, and decision-making at a subconscious level, which now we know. Uh, In fact, psychologists agree that the repression of negative memories can lead to the development of neurosis, uh, paranoia, and other shitty mental disorders that for some, uh, it stops right in our tracks and, and we just can't enjoy life because it literally takes us over and and i've got uh a really good friend that i that i'm close to that um has this problem and he just his life is is fucked because he just can't get out of his own head like he can't he's been to therapy he's been so anyway you know i'm sure we've we've had friends like that in the past for sure um freud believed that by bringing the unconscious memories to the surface personal growth and self-actualization can be achieved Neurosis, great band. Um, Anyway. Not just a cool (laughs) punk band. Uh, For centuries, it was generally assumed that there were only two sorts of memory, the natural memory or inborn one that everyone uses every day, and the artificial memory, which is trained through learning and practice, resulting in feats of memory that are quite extraordinary or impossible to carry out using the natural memory alone. Since then, these definitions have been... uh, more defined and refined. Um, get ready. We're going to get all sciencey. Oh boy. Prepare for me to uh, butcher some words. Yeah. <laughs> um, everybody hit pause. Go take your ginkgo biloba. Um, you know, get your supplements. Uh, all that, all that good stuff. Your acai berries. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, yeah. Uh, come back as we unfold this. Yeah, I know. This is um, absolute crazy. So. And we're back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there are three types of memory, uh, short term, long term and sensory short term is fairly easy to explain. It's related to uh, working memory and it is the very short time that you keep something in mind before either dismissing it or transferring it to long term memory. Think like your clipboard in Windows, right? Oh, yeah. Copy something, copy and paste. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy. Um Long-term memory, however, is another kind of beast all on its own. Long-term memory really is exactly what it sounds like. It's the brain's system for storing, managing, and retrieving information. But wait, okay. there's more. Okay. Um, <laughs> long-term is then broken down to four subcategories. Uh, explicit memory, where it takes requiring conscious thought. Hmm. Uh, it's what most people have in mind when they think of a memory. So, yeah, what you think of as your memory is just is that guy right there. Oh, okay. So the just explicit general memory thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, then there is implicit memory. Implicit memory is a major form of long-term memory that does not require conscious thought. It allows you to do things by rote, which is just a, shor- a short, fancier way to say mechanical or habitual repetition of learning to be learned. 
Uh, so kind of like how I almost got off on the wrong exit when I had to go to the office the other day because I'm so used to getting off on 33rd South because oh, yeah. uh, that's where I get off to go to the bar. Some friends of mine. Know it. <laughs> it's ingrained. <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. like was getting over into the exit lane and it was like, wait, I'm only halfway to work. <laughs> <laughs> I do that shit all the time. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Good times driving by feel anyway. Um, <laughs> After that, we have uh, the autobiographical memory, which is uh, pretty self-explanatory. And lastly, there is memory and Morpheus. Uh, This seems to happen when we sleep, as the brain takes that time to recategorize, reorganize, and place memories into the files where they belong, or at least where the brain thinks they belong, which is ironic. No shit, right? Hopefully, Uh, not all (laughs) brains are the same. Not all brains taste the same. Right. Yeah, not not all brains think the same, which is probably why I can never remember anything. These different types of long-term memory to some scientists are looked at as stages of memory rather than types. So the jury is still out on that. Uh, of course, everyone's still debating. Even in 2022, no one can agree on which anything. Fucking, yeah, and it is just worse. I, I would not have patience to be a scientist in this day and age because, uh, you know, you, you're you're doing the same thing that everybody else does, squabbling over theorems, right? So, yeah, but yeah. at least if you're a scientist arguing with other scientists, you could agree that there's science and that not everybody right. knows yeah. everything and isn't an expert on yeah. Any, yeah, there's, everything. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. It's yeah. like the, the jokes on Twitter whenever there's a world event and everyone's like, all right, I'm hanging up my hat as a viral virologist and moving on to a foreign affairs expert, you know, <laughs> I've seen those. Those are hilarious. Uh, okay. Anyway, let's see. Where were we? We were talking about sensory memory. Uh, remembering oh. the sensation of a person's touch or a sound you heard in passing is sensory memory. Uh, I would also say uh, smells because the olfactory system is like, tied very very closely into memory and like reaccessing yeah. memories and you know like yeah, and, and i and i think with that being said you're right and i i think so all five of our senses are involved in sensory memory you know so smells or touch or you know whatever have your song hearing you know all that's tied up into what it, and and i'll be honest with you i think i have those a lot on my side i don't know about you again not to get off the the path but um sensory memories you know i smell a perfume or i mm-hmm. hear a song and it just snaps me right back to a, a place in time. It's just really amazing. It's just a little bit more, maybe for me, I'm more acute with a sensory memory than some people. But again, you know, everybody's different. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. All right. We would be, we would be remiss not to mention that there is another theory out there and it's pretty popular. And that is the idea that we don't have what we call an internal memory or subconscious at all, but rather our brain is a mechanism simply designed to pick up global thought that we all share, kind of like a radio tuner, and we are all tied to a larger collective in one way or another. Uh, if this sounds interesting, go back and check out our interview with Mark Gober. Uh, was this season episode six? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He laid out some fascinating things in regards to this idea. And honestly, like, I, I think there is some credence to like a, a hive mind type, like the Akashic record kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it seems like even cultures that were separated by like mountain ranges and, and never had any contact with each other had similar would come up with similar ideas, you know? Well, it's the same thing. If you look back in his architecture, for example, Okay, you've got one um, civilization across the world that built a pyramid, and then you have another civilization that built. So did they just all realize that that's the latest and greatest and the most efficient thing that they could do? You know, I always wondered about that. And so it goes along. And I'll be honest with you, too. And and again, this is where it gets, I guess, into the quirky shit for us, you know, because this, eh, after all, is kind of a quirky podcast. Um, I loved having Mark Gober on. His views, his idea, how he laid that out. Uh, there's a book, and I'll, I'll try to put it in show notes, listeners, if you want. Um, but it was very fascinating. He's actually got, I think, three, and he just came out with another one. But he really puts reality to, you know, as strange as a hive mind, like you said, Josh, sounds. It's really not all that far-fetched, especially if you look at uh, coincidences and things that happen. And it's just, I don't know, it all kind of falls into place. And, and it, it actually defines some of those things that can't def- be defined if you're thinking of normal 
consciousness, if, if that makes sense. I, I don't yeah, know. I also like to think of it as uh, in terms of like Warhammer 40k lore, where maybe we're all just a little bit psychically sensitive to, you know what I mean? I, I, it could be part of it too, and he talks about that in the book too, and we brought that up in the interview. Um, good interview. So again, episode six, check that out. Uh, but that's another thing, you know, it's a popular theory, it's catching on, uh, kind of like the whole similarization thing or whatever it is. I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a thing. So anyway... Uh, so we're almost done going down memory lane here, literally. So one of the first questions we had, uh, is why the different memories when we're doing this research, like why can't, why can't memory just be exactly what it is instead of broken down in all these different categories? Cause that, it just seems like it makes things complicated. Um, well, the question that is the scientists don't know. Okay. They haven't really got that figured out, but they do know how each type works in our lifespan. So that's kind of the best we can do. And, and we'll break that down. So we explain memories. Now we're going to explain how those stages happen. So memories are made into three different distinct stages. And it starts with encoding. Encoding is the way external stimuli and information make their way into your brain. Uh, this could occur through any of our five senses. So then the next stage is storage. Um, pretty easy there, too, where the information we take is stored either briefly, like with sensory or short-term memory, or more permanently into the long-term memory lane. Uh, the final stage is recall. So recall is our ability to retrieve the memory we've made from where it is stored. Uh, these processes are also how sensory memory might be turned into short-term or short-term memory into long-term memory, vice versa. Um, it's just, I guess, the, the verdict is out, like how your mind will put it into its category, if that makes sense. Uh, there's more to it that I think Josh can go into, but just interesting on the stages, you know, like point A to point B type thing. So yeah, it turns out we don't know a lot about how the brain works. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I want to say it was not that long ago where people thought the mind was in the gut. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I forgot about that. Well, and here's one more thing before you jump on your, your side, I found it, and this is probably just because, I didn't really put this in the write-up, but um, when we're doing the research on this, I stumbled on a lot of uh, similarities between how we do computers and how our brain works. Like it kind of, you know, they go hand in hand. Look, we do, we process this, our brain files it at night, da-da-da. The computers were designed kind of the same way, um, which, you know, obviously we've done as human beings. But it's just so funny as, as we kind of, the parallels between the two of when computers actually were around in the 50s, 60s, you know, 70s type thing, and how they were categorized and set up is similar to what the scientists just said, hey, this is how your mind works. Um, I don't know. You know, I guess it's easy just to kind of, make something that's similar, but anyway. Yeah. And I think having it explained that way since I was a child has kind of maybe helped the two things influence each other. You know? Uh, yeah. True. True. Yeah. Like we think of, we think of our brains the way we think of computers because that's how computers were always explained to us. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that maybe that's affecting the way we think of our brains too. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, I just think it's interesting, especially with what we're going to be getting into of how there could be like a weird plasticity there, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so anyway, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, you might find yourself asking this question. Where Where is my beautiful car? Is this my beautiful wife? Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> why is my memory so bad? I ask myself all the time. Uh, forgetting is actually a part of life and people forget surprisingly fast. Research has found that approximately 56% of information is forgotten within an hour, 66% after a day and 75% after six days. Jesus. Uh, so, I mean, think of it as basically like, like, uh, reverse, um, three point shooting percentages in the NBA. Oh, they're <laughs> like, nice, nice, wow, yeah, we forget. Okay three-fourths of what we of the information we process but uh yeah, i but, guess but if, you, if you remember 27 percent, that's that's really good that's that's probably like league high you right. know? <laughs> well it just amazed me too and if you think about it think of everything we do like say we travel or we work or we're on the road we're driving or meeting friends all that stuff that we see you know your eye if your eyes are open your memory's working so, you know, think if we didn't lose 75% after six days or say, could you imagine retaining all that shit? Like I, how all mixed up it would be to try to get well, it figured out. And also like most of it's not important. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? It doesn't mean like, nothing to you. It's like a quick little blip, you know, sometimes 
having like a photographic memory or whatever they the actual technical term is it uh technical term for it is i don't remember but uh that i think about that and i'm like monday mornings that would be nice i could just look at the numbers and remember them bam and yeah yeah. you know spit them back out whenever i needed but then i think about it and it's like man i don't want to remember every single second of my work day well and that's the thing that would be hell what about these people that have a photographic memory? Um, like I know there's somebody famous, uh, Mary Lou Henner. She was in Taxi, some other things. But she is famously known for her mind and her photographic memory, and she can pull things out. Like what's their life like? You know, does their brain ever shut off? Like it's just I don't know. I couldn't even imagine, man. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to have to remember all the mundane shit, but it would be nice to remember. More than I at, do. at least for a little bit to get get through Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mondays yeah. are the worst. Oh man. Um. Anyway, putting my inner Garfield away. Um, <laughs> forgetting is the loss or change in information that was previously stored in short term or long term memory. Uh, while it's usually normal, excessive or unusual forgetting might be a sign of a more serious problem such as dementia. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind. stupid Uh. is uh memory needs to be accessed and used otherwise it usually goes away and can't be retrieved this is called the decay theory i like to call it use it or lose it Uh, with that being said uh, (laughs) there's another trapdoor of the mind here every act of recall renders the memory itself vulnerable to loss or change to explain it very simply every time we remember something the memory is effectively rebuilt out of the proteins in the brain But if something happens to disrupt or color the memory at a certain point, it will be different the next time we remember it. Memory isn't written in stone. It's more like a photocopy of a photocopy. Uh, And this is. Here's a cool example. Um, A five year old, if given the word house, you might uh, as a five year old, if given the word house, you might have imagined a drawing of a house, which is actually what popped into my mind as I was reading this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As an adult, uh, you hear when you hear the word house, you might picture your own house, um, a different response for the same input. This is because your experience and memories have changed and the connections between neurons have changed as well. In other words, recalling a memory involves uh, reactivating a particular group of neurons. The idea that uh, is that by... Previously altering the strengths of particular particular synaptic connections, synaptic plasticity makes this possible. Uh, Synaptic plasticity is the term describing the persistent change in changes in strength of connections called synapses between brain cells. These connections can be made stronger or weaker depending on when and how often they have been activated in the past. Active connections tend to get stronger, whereas those that aren't used get weaker and can eventually disappear entirely, as in, you know, the whole decay theory thing. Uh, This is also why Uh, eyewitness testimony is completely unreliable. Oh, yeah. Because every time you recall something, you change the memory, period. It's just, it's very plastic. Um, Even even if it's a tiny, tiny. So is it just me? But that whole thing, when you're reading up here about, you know, the memories of photocopy of a photocopy, and every time you pull it up, it's now it's vulnerable to actually change or lose it altogether. Yeah, I would say uh, an even better example wouldn't be a photocopy of a photocopy. It would be, uh, well... Some of you younger listeners might not understand this, but it would be like when you're making, when you're, when you have the dual cassette deck and you're dubbing one tape onto another, and then you take that copy and make another copy from that and another copy from Quality. that, and you lose fidelity all the way down, you know? Yep. And that's like, a, it's that's not a very good. Yeah. That's it's not as big of a problem in, with like digital uh, copying and digital recordings, you know? But um, when you were dealing with actual like magnetic materials like a tape, uh, that was a really common thing that would happen. Well, you would well, just get lower and lower sound quality. And, you know? and honestly, I'll even update that analogy. It's the same thing, you know, like podcasting, editing. You know, you can edit in raw, you can edit in a different form, and you got more of a quality. Once you turn it into an MP3, now you're you're knocking it down to a lossy format. Which you know, it's the same thing with pictures. You know, JPEGs versus yeah. actual. It's it's just you know, it's your quality. So yeah, exactly. You may not notice it, but every single time you're pulling that that quality is just stepping down a little bit more and a little bit more, uh, you know, and maybe that's why, 
you know, I knew, and we're going to take a break real quick here, but a quick story. Uh, he actually left us like mid COVID. We had a family member died at like 91, 92. Um, but family loved him. Great guy. He spent time in the Navy. He was on an icebreaker and he had dementia, but I would have the same conversation with him about his Navy days. Cause he knew I was in the Navy, or at least I'd bring it up every time. It would be the same conversation, but for him, that was the only founded memory he had because he kept pulling it and he kept using it and it kept coming up like the whole plasticity thing that you were talking about. And so to him, it was fresh all the time because it was there. It was new. Um, he couldn't tell you whose kids were or other things, but for some reason that time in his life meant so much to him that it formed who he was. And that was the last thing he really had till he died. Was that just the memory of the Navy? Um, just fascinating. Just absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating. The brain is a terrible thing to taste again. It's fucking crazy. But anyway, um, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we will dive into the fun stuff here a little bit. Uh, everybody stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we are back. So now we got... um you know, all the learning stuff out of the way. There's nothing wrong with being educated. You know, that's fine. We can do that. But, you know, we broke down the above the memory, how it works, how the stages work, all this stuff. Now we kind of want to get into the science fiction fun stuff of this episode because this is really, uh, it's really fascinating. So when we were researching this, it literally stemmed off an article about a book where the premise is a company in the future specializes in memory erasing, quote unquote. Uh, where you can pay a fee to have a certain memory removed for whatever reason the client chooses. So again, it was a uh, it was a, a fiction book, you know, not true, written, whatever have you. Um, when the author of the book began to research some of the little things that he was doing, he actually found out that some of the shit was real. It's not really science fiction, not only real, but it has been studied, tested, and some applications actually were put into use. And so we kind of want to go a little bit into that, and we're going to dig up some history and then explain kind of um, loosely where we're, where we're at into 2022, basically. Um, so we'll start here. So in the 1940s, the field of neuropsychology emerged, and with it a biological basis for theories of encoding. So a gentleman by the name of Carl Lashley devoted 25 years of his life to research on rats and mazes in a systematic attempt to pinpoint where the memory traces or engrams were found in the brain, only to conclude in 1950 that memories are not localized to one part of the brain at all, but are widely distributed throughout the cortex, and that if certain parts of the brain are damaged, other parts of the brain may take on the role of the damaged portion, which... That blows my mind right there. It's like people that got there. Do you remember the story about the man who um, back in the 1800s, he was working on the railroad. He actually mm-hmm. had a pike run through his head. Yeah. And he survived and he was fine. It damaged his brain. Obviously, it went right through his skull and right at the top. But he lived yeah, for like years. Yeah, changed after. his personality considerably, it, if it, I remember it, right. It, it absolutely did, too. But, you know, he but his memory was still there. He could remember how it happened, why it happened, his kids and everything else. It just, you know, how the brain... Again, one thing's damage is going to take over. You know, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, the Canadian neurosurgeon, uh, his name is Wilder Pinfield's work on the stimulization of the brain with electrical probes in the 1940s and 50s. Initially, he was in search of the causes of epilepsy. Uh, this allowed him to create maps of the sensory and motor cortices of the brain that are still used today, actually practically uh, unchanged at all. So it's kind of kind of, kind of cool that that's the, that's the case there. Um Fast forward to 2009, a group of scientists from Brooklyn's SU Sunny Downstate Medical Center made the mythical process of memory erasing an actual reality. A team of researchers led by Dr. Todd Sackdor discovered the function of enzyme PKM Zeta in memory storage against an antagonist drug called ZIP. So Dr. Sackdor's team found that when they injected lab rats with ZIP, the drug interfered with memory and recall and consolidation. In other words, once injected, the rats could no longer recall memories of learned behaviors, such as positions of shocking devices in the maze that they had remembered all the time throughout the whole four-month period. But we ask you this. 
Has tests involving mice scrambling moved on from the mice? And, and in a word, yes, and in a word, kind of no. Um, so we're going to kind of get into that a bit, I think. In 2013, a new study was published that reported that memory of a specific event was impaired by targeting it selectively. What's more, the study used no drugs, electroshock, or other invasive measures to wipe away the memory. They used a clever deception to hack into the biological process at a critical point that they discovered when experiments on laboratory animals showed that the memories can become vulnerable to tampering. Hmm. Um, so this is pretty interesting. They basically went uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind without all the machines and stuff. Oh, I, f- I forgot about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Chan and Jessica LaPaglia from Iowa State University had subjects watch a movie, uh, which was the pilot episode of 24, you know, Jack Bauer, Mm. um, involving a terrorist attack in which a villain jabs a hypodermic needle into a flight attendant to to disable her with a drug injection. Later, they they quizzed the viewers about details in the video, allowing only 25 seconds to answer each of 24 questions about specific events in the 40-minute thriller. The purpose of the quiz was, in fact, to make the subjects recall specific events from memory. Um, No, now, sorry, not no, now, according to a theory called reconsolidation, the memories that were retrieved could be disrupted as they were re-encoded into memory after recall. Rather than give the subject drugs to block protein synthesis, they instead manipulated reconsolidation by having... The people listened to an eight-minute audio recap of the movie they had seen, but some of the facts were altered in the recap. For example, the wow. recap stated that the flight attendant had been rendered unconscious not by a hypodermic needle, but rather by using a stun gun. When the test subjects were tested later, only 17% recalled the hypodermic as the weapon used. Instead, 42% of Sorry, instead of 42% who had been similarly misinformed by the false recap, but they heard the recap after playing a computer game rather than after taking a quiz to force them to reactivate the original memory. Disrupting the memory required uh, that it first be recalled. Uh, What a way to jump in the middle of the memory and shake the shit out of it. And again, this is like why eyewitness testimony is just like not reliable because um like cops know this they do it all the fucking time yeah like you know they they keep asking you and answering for you exactly until you, you agree with what right. they said even right. though you're confessing to something you had nothing to do with right right they, they basically you know. trick you you know and and yeah. it's not just the cops that do that but it's famous for like a high-end government uh fbi everything else like they know these methods you know, to get to really get into your psyche and change what you what you perceive. And it's just like anything. It's just like telling a, a ghost story or a story around campfire. That story will not be the same every single time you tell it. It's the same thing. Again, we talk about degrade, uh, degradation and all this other stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, it's scary to think that uh, people that know how to manipulate are actually doing the manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. fucking crazy. So anyway, well, here you go. So what about studies involving mind racing where external applications were used? Um, most of us, not all of us, but I'm thinking I'm going to not a bet, ma'am. I'm going to say most of you guys obviously know the history behind mental institutions and the horrific methods that were used behind closed doors. So lobotomy became a thing around 1935. And even though it originally was a procedure, if fuck, if you want to call it a procedure, I, I don't know. Anyway, that was torture. It was torture at flat out. Right. But it was known supposedly to cure several uh, severe mental disorders uh, and even supposedly severe indigestion, which You're on the wrong fucking side at that point. I just don't understand that at all. Anyway, um, it also had a crazy side effect with all this stuff, which was memory loss, right? Shit. Yeah. Go go figure you're going to drill a hole in somebody's brain and they're going to lose a memory. Yeah. Yeah. Scramble up their brains and see what happens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's also throw in the mixed shock treatments, uh, which also had a memory loss effect, but was never invented for that. It was just a convenient byproduct of it all. And again, shock treatments, fucking just as horrible. Uh, And then when I was doing this research, I didn't put it in the write-up, but uh, do you know there's actually proven cases of lobotomy happening on like kids as young as four years old? Uh, Not at all surprised. Oh, my God. It's just fucking insane. We live in a society. It's just crazy. It's just crazy as smart as we think we are. Anyway, 
Um, as awful as that history sounds when it came to insane asylums and how we subjected over 200,000 people to these practices, um, we asked the question, what about modern times, right? Haven't we moved on as we've gained knowledge and at times more humanity than what our predecessors had? Well, funny you should ask. So here you go. In 2013, a team of Dutch neuroscientists devised an electroconvulsive therapy, short for ECT, is a short version, um, to, quote, target and disrupt patients' memory of a disturbing episode. So the team later prompted patients to recall only one of the stories by replaying part of that slideshow. Immediately afterwards, when the reactivated memory is thought to be vulnerable, the patients received electroconvulsive therapy. One day later, when given a multiple choice test, a memory test, patients were significantly worse at remembering details from their reactivated story performing near chance. Go figure. Um, Patients' memory of the other story, however, remained largely unscathed. The test was conducted on 42 patients with severe depression, so there's a chance it could work differently on normal patients. Um, But also, so it's worth pointing out, that ECT in general, even though it's not like what they did back in the sane asylum days, um, it's still no fucking fun. It induces uh, seizures and doctors uh, just shocking patients' brains with electricity. It's just not a good thing. So, you know, it can't be good yeah. for the human body, can't be good for the mind. Um, but, yeah, that's a recent as uh, 2013 they're doing these doing these experiments. So, But, I mean, what's worse, a few sessions of ECT and then you're done or being on, like, SSI inhibitors or whatever for the rest of your life? Uh, yeah, no, and, and, you know, and I get that side of it. So, you know, you take the ethical part of it, you know, so they're doing case works with people, people that obviously volunteered for it. They yeah, know they have I think that's the depression. key, too. And that is the key. I mean, it's just the fact of, you know, and again, I guess as far as we've come, we're still doing this method. But again, people, and we're going to get into some PSD, uh, PTSD and stuff like that too in here. But, you know, you got to look at it. Look both sides, I'm sure. So anyway. Yeah. Um, here's a fun fact, or maybe not so fun. Just depends on your <laughs> point of view, I guess. Right. <laughs> The brain in general and memory in particular has a distinct negativity bias. It pays more attention to and highlights unpleasant experiences. The brain typically detects negative information faster than positive information. And the hippocampus specifically flags negative events to make doubly sure that such events are stored in memory. Cool. Wow. Thanks, brain. I needed that. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> My brain's such an asshole. God. Yeah, no wonder I'm a negative person. Mm. Um, negative explain experiences leave an indelible trace in memory, even when efforts are made to unlearn them. This is probably an evolutionary adaptation, given that it is better to err on the side of caution and ignore a few pleasant experiences than to overlook a negative and possibly dangerous event. Yeah, you know, survival mechanisms. Um, another cool brain tidbit that flashbacks are involuntary and Often, uh, I think I skipped a line here. No, I didn't. Another, <laughs> another cool brain tidbit. It, uh, that flashbacks are involuntarily involuntary and often recurring memories in which an individual has a sudden powerful re-experiencing of a past memory, sometimes so intense that the person quote unquote relives the experience, unable to fully recognize it as a memory and not something that is really happening. Such involuntary memories are often so traumatic or often of traumatic events or highly charged emotional happenings and often occur at times of high stress or food deprivation, although the exact causes and mechanisms are not clear. That is wild. That's fucking crazy. You know, and so back to the native thing real quick. I mean, that's just instinct. Right. I mean, that's all it is. It's us learning. Hey, don't walk into this bear cave because the bear will eat you. Then we learn from it. And maybe our brains are making it that like, okay, we're going to lean towards that because it's more of a fear thing. And maybe that's why then. So we didn't even get into that because that's a whole nother rabbit hole. That could be a whole nother episode is fear and how fear works with us and our emotions and how detrimental it can be. But that fear is what's keeping us alive, (laughs) you know, in a way. So. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the brain on drugs, shall we? Just not a cool uh, 90s commercial or mid-80s commercial, I think. Uh, when was they it? They were still going pan? on well into probably the 2000s. Were I remember they? The, the, the frying pan and the egg and the fucking Yeah, thing. the Rachel yeah, Lee yeah. Cook 
<laughs> trashing the kitchen with the frying pan. Right, right. Uh, crazy. Anyway, um, Dr. Elaine Burnett spent over 15 years studying post-traumatic stress disorder, or like we said earlier, PTSD, uh, working with combat veterans, people who have experienced terror attacks, and crime victims. Much of his research is centered on the development of what he calls, again, reconsolidation therapy, which we mentioned a version of this earlier, as an innovative approach that can help remove emotional pain from a traumatic memory. At the heart of his work is a drug called propernanol. There's more than two OLs in there. I don't know. Anyway, it's a beta blocker is what it is. Um, it's long used to treat common physical ailments such as hypertension and migraines. It's basically blood pressure medicine in a way. But with uh, his research now suggests it has a wider application. The reconsolidation method involves taking this drug, propranolol, uh, about an hour before a therapy session where the patient is asked to write a detailed account of the trauma and then read it aloud. Here's a quote from good old Dr. Burnett himself. Uh, quote, Memories, their neutral, factual elements are saved in the brain's hippocampus, but the emotional tone of the memory is saved in the amalgamata. Imagine that you are shooting a movie in the old-fashioned way, so you have the image and the sound, and they are on two separate channels. When a person relives their traumatic memory, they experience both channels. So this drug, propopanol, uh, helps target one channel, the emotional aspect of the memory, inhibiting its reconsolidation and suppressing its pain. A memory called under the influence of the medication will then be, quote, saved by the brain in its new, less emotional version. Interesting. Fucking crazy science fiction bullshit with that. So, yeah. Well, and here it is, too. You're asking for success rates. We'll give them to you. So his research has a 70% success rate of patients that found relief within a few sessions of therapy. He also launched a program in France in the wake of deadly terror attacks in Paris, if, if uh, everybody remembers those, um, training some 200 doctors in the therapy to help treat victims, witnesses, and first responders. So far, over 400 people have undergone the therapy in that country as part of the program. There are other drugs that have been used in lab rat tests and as well as human subjects, but so far propopanol uh, is by far the winner in the race. So real quick here, while we're on the subjects of drugs and memory racing, we, we also want to mention that while we researched this, we came across numeral articles listing other drugs that can cause memory loss as a side effect. So um, I'm going to list them, but we're also going to do a caveat here. So if anyone is on Xanax, uh, Clonopin, Valium, Lipitor, Crestor, Lyrica, Benzyl, Vicodin, Morphine, Oxycodone, and last but not least, Percocet, um, you might want to double-check things with your medical provider. Again, we also state that we're not medical providers, nor are we healthcare professionals by any means, nor should you take anything we say to heart or add us to your will or create statues of our likeness, yada, yada, yada. But when we stumble on these listed often um, during research, I don't know. You know, we feel maybe we should just throw out the listeners. Like, hey, if you know, if you're doing some, of the, and again, these medications are for different things, anywhere from pain to um, heart to cholesterol. Just you know, maybe double check with your doctor. So anyway, we're just saying it can't hurt. But um, other studies have successfully used anti-anxiety medication to remove the emotional component of patients' traumatic memories years after the original events have occurred. The patients were able to remember what had happened to them, but the intense fear and panic that accompanied the flashback had been stripped away. There has also been research in actually implanting false memories, then erasing them. Uh, I don't know why somebody would do this shit, but anyway, we're not sure why it did this, but a team from the University of Hagen uh, has found that false memories planted in the minds of volunteers can be just as easily erased. Hypnosis has also been used to help traumatize patients through damaging ordeals and soften, if you will, the emotional, mental wear and tear on their psyche. So, yeah, there's all that. But. That reminds me of that scene in Hellier where they uh, hypnotize a dude who doesn't believe into aliens into oh. thinking he had an alien abduction. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That actually was pretty crazy shit. Funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> Cray. God. Yeah. I just don't get the um, false memory thing, I guess. that Like, why would you plan to, uh, unless you're, to me, that's like PSYOPs and MK Ultra bullshit. And, yeah, you know, I, so. like the only like not nefarious use of that I can think of is like, uh, just to prove that it's a thing that can be done so that um, it's taken into account in like legal proceedings, I guess. I, I, maybe. I yeah. I, and you're, we're grabbing at straws even with that. So I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The jury. Yeah. I mean, sure. I guess secure communications implant a false memory of something and then uh, you go deliver the message and then it gets erased. And yep. Yeah. Uh, crazy. I don't know. That sounds like spy shit. I, um, 
It, it totally watched like that Spy Gray Show. Man movie like twice last night. So, oh, is it good? I was going to ask you if you watched it. Uh, yeah. If you watched it twice, I guess it can't be bad. Well, I was also not exactly sober. Oh, um, gotcha. Well, okay, fun stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it was fun. Um, mm. It's kind of hard to take Ryan Gosling seriously in a role like that, but it's, he did he did yeah, a good job, especially after he's in the new Barbie movie. So yeah. But, oh, they make jokes about it. It's great. Oh, do they? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you, there's okay. there's some references to like uh, people's like the character, the actors playing the characters' actual Just for like, that reason. I'll careers, watch it. <laughs> and it's and it's pretty funny. Like they're they're quick, and you might not uh, you might not catch them. Like Chris Evans refers to uh, Ryan Gosling as a Ken doll at one point, and uh, <laughs> and then um, he also threatens to beat someone to death with a keyboard, which like. If I remember correctly, he was like uh, the he was James McAvoy's buddy in that Wanted movie that was also banging his girlfriend oh, that he yeah, yeah. smacks in the face with a keyboard at some point. Yeah. Funny how they put shit like that. Little cookies, right? It's yeah. not just for Marvel. Anyway. So sorry. Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> it's but, still fun, though. All yeah. Right. Hmm. There, there are little moments in there that are really good. Like the the guys that wrote and directed that movie are really good. And cool. anyway, we're not Check talking about that. <laughs> we're well, talking we about how science did not stop at uh, implanting and removing fake memories. Uh, scientists have devised and played around with electronic brain implants, which attach to the nerves themselves and help suppress memories, as well as a technique called decoded neurofeedback. Aurelio Cortez, a com- computational neuroscientist and principal investigator of the ATR computation computational neuroscience labs explains the process (laughs) quote we use neuro imaging data a big magnet that scans our brain and measures changes in the levels of oxygen in the cerebral blood this data is then processed in real time through a local computer that selects the data from the relevant brain area this machine learning decoder is then used in the neurofeedback procedure to detect the activation patterns and compute the likelihood that it corresponds to a target pattern. Participants receive a small reward every time a target activation pattern in their brain is detected. It aims to give patients or participants control over some specific brain processes, which does not sound that doesn't sound fun at good all. Good or bad, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, there's that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, besides, I'm very paranoid. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> with all these that. experiments, time and research involved in memory erasing, it led us to ask a fairly simple question. Mm. Um, is there a natural way to accomplish this? Again, yes and no. There are several natural methods to try and accomplish this. Memories are cue dependent, which means they require a trigger. Okay. Your bad memory isn't constantly in your head. Something in your present environment reminds you of your bad experience and triggers the recall process. Some memories have only a few triggers like particular smells or images, whereas others have so many that they are hard to avoid. For example, someone with a combat related trauma might be triggered by loud noises, the smell of smoke, closed doors, particular songs, probably anything by the fucking Rolling Stones. Right. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to say items on the side of the road and so on. Identifying your most common triggers can help you take control of them. When you consciously recognize a trigger, you can participate or sorry, you can practice suppressing the negative association. Hmm. The more often you suppress the association, the easier it will become. Every time you recall a memory, your brain rewrites or rewires that memory after a trauma wait a few weeks for your emotions to die down and then actively recall your memory in a safe space some therapists advise you talk about the experience in detail once or twice per week others prefer that you write out a narrative of your story and then read it during therapy forcing your brain to repeatedly reconstruct your painful memory will allow you to rewrite your memory in a way that reduces the emotional trauma you won't be erasing your memory but when you do remember, it will be less painful. And lastly, uh, a theory called think, no think. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know. This is where you can use your brain's higher functions like reasoning and rationality to consciously interrupt the process of memory recall. 
Basically, this means that you practice intentionally shutting down your painful memory as soon as it starts. After doing this for several weeks or months, you can theoretically train your brain not to remember. Uh, you basically weaken the, neur- the neural connection that allows you to recall, uh, sorry, to call up that particular memory. So we guess you can give that, give those a spin? I don't, I don't know. Um, if they work, we'd love to know. You know where to go. Strangeuncles at gmail.com. Spell it right, yeah. unlike me this morning. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, too, with that being said. We're not telling you guys, again, we're not professional medical providers whatsoever. Um, there's other methods that involve, like, yoga. Med- people have been successful with meditation to suppress memories. Um, it's just, I think, really, the bottom line is if you can find a safe space, especially, you know, whether it's with a therapist, whether it's with meditation, whether it's talking to a loved one, whatever happens. You know, we all have... Well, most of us, I'm not going to say all, but most of human beings have had at least one horrific thing happen to them. Whether, again, we cover in the beginning, somebody died close to you, you know, you were into an accident, you fell. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, um, I recall me falling off roofs several times over and I remember the fall and I have nightmares about it. I wake up like it's just something that's always going to be there because it was traumatic for me to do. And I had to learn how to walk again. It took me almost five months to do that. Um, So it's just crazy how the mind works. But again, we're, we're not telling you, Hey, these are the ways to go, but give it a shot. And I think maybe some of it too. And I, Josh, maybe you can pipe up on this, but maybe keeping bad memories and not suppressing them and hiding them behind the door isn't, a bad thing maybe that's what makes you you um yeah you know i mean honestly i think that's kind of how therapy works right is you talk about troubling things mm-hmm. so you're recalling them you're rewriting them right. in a right. safe space taking some of the bad out of it right because mm-hmm. it's a clinical setting and you're just like recounting the experience and you're in a safe space and you're safe safely uh accessing rewriting reconsolidating those memories um i mean that might be part of why it's effective you know it's like you're just talking to somebody who's trained to not overreact if you say something fucked up and and not trained to plant or answer your own questions or plant a seed or you know what i mean yeah they just they're 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 just just there there to help you make the connections you need to make to feel better Yep. You know, hundred yep. percent. There is nothing wrong with therapy. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, I probably needed it for years, but I just yeah. am too lazy to go. So I, do I am in the therapy. same boat. Um, <laughs> but I did go to like a group session, um, with someone who like asked me to go with them to mm. talk about some stuff. Okay. And, uh, and it was really interesting. Um, the therapist was really good. Uh, and did all of that stuff and also was like listening to the way we were talking about things and stopping us when we were saying things that like were basically negative reactions and being like, okay, this is like how you negatively internalize these things. This is how, why you like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a survival me- mechanism, but like it can right. go wrong. So this right. is how you stop it from going wrong, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's the thing with a lot of those there. And I, I did go to one with, it was a, a, relationship counselor type thing. But the problem is it turned into a finger pointing game on the other side. And that's when it's not healthy for anybody to do that. You need somebody that's bipartisan to tell you to stop pointing fingers. And so there's something to be said about that, you know? Yeah. The therapist in those situations should definitely be neutral. Yeah. yeah, They should be Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so, you know, at the end of the day, we wonder a few things. Uh, What about the ethical or moral implications of all this? What about governments or secret ops that would use this type of technology or has to erase memories or implant different ones? Most of us have have heard of MKUltra or Manchurian Candidate is another one. Um, It's an actual real case scenario. It's not just a movie. And now that's like what Sirhan uh, Sirhan complaint or claimed happened to him and why he shot Bobby Kennedy. Exactly. Claimed he was not in control. Yeah. Somebody had planted a basically a word. And that set him off to do something else. And and we're going to, again, we're not going to go down this road, but you can't tell me that governments don't use this. Uh, if basic policemen and FBI has been using this. You know, there's some deep, dark shit in the government that, you know, gets in, gets inside a brain and does uh, crazy things. So, you know, it is what it is. It's not very far-fetched to think about, to be honest with you. 
Um, and furthermore, psychologists suggest that the ways in which people shape and edit memories contributes to their individuality. So someone who was bitten by a dog as a child might have a different opinion about dogs than someone who was rescued by one. Hence, memory erasing has a potential to change a part of an individual's interpretation of the world. It is almost as if a person is choosing to erase what makes him or her unique. Researchers agree that people are different because of the subjectivity of perception. Even sensory information, such as color perception and touch sensation, differ depending on both genetics and experience. So in other words, no two people experience the world in the same way. And without the memory of specific life events, a distinct perspective is lost. After years of composing a unique identity... The advent of memory erasing procedures has a potential to eliminate the product of those life events. So that's not a doesn't sound like a good thing, right? It sounds like you're trying to be someone you're not. And again, going back to putting things behind the curtain, and that's not healthy because eventually that curtain's going to come down, right? So for now, uh, we're more comfortable thinking that this whole subject really is science fiction. But honestly, it looks like we're a step forward where this is going to become reality, and in times it has. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, yay for memory racing, right? So, man, crazy. I want him to get it to the point of severance, you know? Oh, I know. Where, <laughs> right. where, work, work, and yep. personal. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, uh, just, so, you know, keep so, them separated. Yep, yep. And, and just to add to that, too, again, we talk about movies and shows a lot just because we, you know, we, we're fans. You know, we should do a podcast on, on, you know, media, to be honest with you. But um, Severance is on Apple TV, I believe. It is uh, Ben Stiller's directing, right? And uh, I, think, I believe uh, so. And it's got Adam Scott is Adam like Scott. the main character. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is. Fa- I think I got one or two episodes to go. But literally, like, you know, they hand in their badge. They go up the elevator. By the time they get to the floor, they're in work memory mode. And it's crazy. It's a crazy story. Um, but, you know, again, not too far-fetched from what we can see from drugs to manipulation to planting seeds to false memories. Uh, man, it it's really fucking sounds like a bad sci-fi movie. And, you know, it is. So, you know, there's that. But anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed it for sure. Um, I don't know what's your feed. But you got any feedback, Josh, on your side? I mean, we kind of bantered in the middle of this, but... Uh, you know, um, yeah. you know, just uh, wanted to point out that when you were trying to say the drug name, blah, 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 blah oh, or I whatever, know. I can't. You, it. it reminded me of uh, since we're talking about memories, it reminded me of that uh, Missy Elliott song <laughs> oh, <laughs> where shit. she like says something that's basically gibberish in the middle of the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> to probably said like that too. big words, people, you know, we nail them sometimes, sometimes we don't. So there, that is what it is. And again, I just want to mention too, when we uh, mentioned the other drugs that possibly can cause side effects, we're not telling you, we're, we're just, you know, saying, look, when we see it like three or four or five different times, keep popping up in the same realm of this other drug. It's like, okay, you know, maybe we want to check this out. So, you know, we're just trying to spread helpful news. That's all we're doing. Don't, uh, don't take us for, for word of mouth for sure. So anyway, but to everyone, that is, uh, that's a story of the brain and more to come. And actually we're trying to get, I think Ma, uh, Mark Gober on again, uh, or Gober, sorry, just because it is fantastic what he's doing, how he's writing and the whole perception of whether are we connected to a hive or how does a memory works? Uh, it really goes into, you know, we talk about children that have, uh, memories from, uh, maybe a past life or dreams that are so realistic and dreams, you know, often mimic sometimes real life. Like there's so many things with the, the, with the human brain that uh, really have not been deciphered and, and, and maybe never will. So just a fascinating subject for sure. But anyway, um, but that is Strange Uncles. Uh, follow us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. You can write us. You can call us at 801 252 uh, I don't remember the rest of it. 45 and go from there. Uh, tell us about, Hey, if you've got methods uh, to help you get through traumatic events, we'd love to, we'd love to hear it, you know, and we'll, we'll share that story. We won't, you know, just let us know um, something be said there. And then uh, we have some guests lined up and we have some other episodes lined up and we have some special Patreon bonus content coming your way. Uh, so stand by for that. Uh, Josh, where are we on socials, man? Well, if I recall correctly, uh, <laughs> uh, we are. I, at, did, I get what you did there. We are at Strange Uncles on Twitter. We are at Strange Uncles Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you give us a shout in the comments or the DMs, and we don't respond right away, please uh, don't shout, shout be offended. Again. Just yep. realize that, like, 
I post for the episodes sometimes. <laughs> so I'm in the strange uncle's account like once or twice a week, maybe. Yeah. So if you don't get a, if you don't get a response right away, uh, we're not being jerks. We just, uh, I have other things going on in my life. Besides yeah, running we the, actually get, yeah, we Instagram actually, account. we actually work and get paid for it. So, you know, there's that, but uh, we will try to be diligent with our response time for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, you know. Same with the email. Um, we just yep. responded to somebody, uh, recently that had, uh, reached out about the Travis Walton hoax scandal episode we did a while ago, a while back. Um, and it took, was a while back. Yeah, yeah. And then we've had been sitting on the email for a little bit just because we were trying to figure out the right way to respond because I kept reading it. Um, whilst after having consumed certain substances <laughs> and not being able to like, like I was, I wasn't getting the intent, right? I so, like your, I like your honesty, sir. I just, yeah. So, um, anyway, like we, we try to get back to you as quick as we can. Um, and we assume good intentions in, uh, when you reach out to us. So like, if I ask you a question or if we ask a question in response, like just know we're not trying to be argumentative. We're, we're just genuinely like, Whoa, what do you mean? Why do you think that? Yeah. Just sinking facts. Like I said, it's a conversation and there's different sides to look at it for sure. And uh, so, yeah, we will try to respond to everything that we get um, and then go from there. And then, uh, yeah. 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 And lastly, we have a YouTube channel. Um, We're going to, we're looking at putting, getting back into putting fresh content there, probably give Patreons access to it. Uh, early or first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another reason to join our Patreon at mm-hmm. strangeuncles slash patreon.com or there you go. scratch that, reverse it, patreon.com slash strangeuncles. <laughs> I was going to say, and I'll put those in the show notes too. There's always a link there that you can just easily click on. Um, we owe some things to the Patreon members and, and sorry for Patreons. We've been, you know, life has gotten in the way, but uh, we got some good things on the on the path and YouTube might be one of them. So kind of excited about it. Yeah. And that was Josh's idea. So yay, Josh. No, we'll, thanks. No, we'll, we'll go from there. So cool. Well, I don't have anything. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, everybody enjoy your week. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, get played in the background and, and make you guys forget your work at least a little bit and close the gates. <laughs>